the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Season Watch with Wendy Scott, where we observe the things coming on the earth through biblical binoculars, because the Bible is both timely and timeless. With her master's degree in rhetoric and writing skills, Wendy is a part-time college professor, but a full-time truth professor. She believes the Word of God is His perfect revelation, including a young earth six-day creation, as well as the global flood inundation, and that Israel is God's chosen nation. Faith alone in Jesus is salvation, the true church rapture comes pre-tribulation, followed by Christ's millennial domination and His eternal kingdom with Earth's regeneration. Jesus is coming without hesitation. And now, here's Wendy with today's topic. Hello, friends. Thank you for joining me again uh, with Season Watch, and we'll just start with prayer. Jesus, we just thank you for this time, and we see that the labor pains are starting. We don't exactly know how close we are, but our hope is in you, and we just pray that you help us to walk closer to you than ever. Help us to sense your presence and to hear that voice behind us saying, this is the way, walk in it. We just give this time to you and ask you, Lord, to lead us in your way of righteousness. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so remember in our last episode, we started looking at the difference between the true church that's raptured and those who are left behind when Jesus comes again to receive us to himself. And along the way, we discovered that among those who will not be raptured are some who claim to be in the church but are not true believers, according to Jesus. We would say that maybe they're guilty of violating the second commandment, not to take his name in vain, or better translated, to bear his name in vain or deceptively. And hearing these cautions should cause us to all strengthen our walk with Jesus, right? We want to make sure we are walking with him, that we know him, as we said before. And we went over several scriptures, so please go back to last week's podcast uh, discussing the imminent rapture of the true church. That's the title. Now, I promised that this week we would look into how recent global developments are driving us even closer to the conditions of the B system and therefore closer to the rapture. But I felt the Lord wanted me to continue on this discussion and talk about further how Jesus distinguishes between his true church and the left behind behind church in order to warn people, as Paul warned in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, to examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith and to test yourselves. Um, Also so that we have discernment, that we can stay away from those who compromise the truth and bring in those damnable heresies, right, in the name of love for all and do not judge and social justice and equity. They ask us to compromise the truth of the Bible, but they themselves are intolerant of the truth. And so we want to avoid those and we want to be aware of who they are. They expect us to be tolerant and yet they're the ones that are stirring things up and changing the word. Help us to stand strong, Jesus, for your for your glory. And so friends, uh, today we're going to talk about this. So fasten your truth belts as we discuss rapture ready. Jesus knows those who are his. 
So we're going to pick up on the review of what Jesus' letters to the churches reveal in Revelation, as we discussed near the beginning of the chap- of the book. We started with Jesus' letter to the sixth church, Philadelphia, known in Greek as the Church of Brotherly Love, which Jesus actually cautioned us that we have a new commandment to love one another, right? And so that begins in chapter 3, and we'll begin at verse 7. And the angel of the Church of Philadelphia write. These things say, he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the king of David, uh, the key of David, and who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I've set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Verse 10, because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I'm coming quickly. Hold fast what you have that no one can take your crown. So we see with Philadelphia, Jesus praises them for holding on to the true faith under great pressure. And we discussed last time how we see in this sixth letter, characteristics that indicate this church also represents the last church age or the raptured church. However, the seventh church right after that, the church of Laodicea, which comes from the Greek meaning Leo of the people and Dike meaning judged. And we see this church has certain characteristics that Jesus criticized and he has a severe warning for them. So starting in verse 15, I know your works that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were cold or hot. So then because you're lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So to Laodicea, he has no praise, only condemnation. Remember, this is written to an actual church, Laodicean, but it also represents a church age. And this church is condemned. And this is not a message to the world. And behind these characteristics and through these characteristics, we see the church also um, represents the left behind church, right? So these letters of the two churches reveal, first of all, the true church of the end times will be raptured. And Philadelphia represents what the last church will be like. They'll be small and under pressure. They will keep the word of God. They will not deny the name of Jesus. And they're characterized by their love for one another. But the worldly church, like the Laodiceans that will be left behind, they're well-known and popular because they're of the people. They're admired. They're large. They're rich. And they are the people of judgment. Uh, So hopefully uh, we'll see what that means. So this is how the world sees the church of Laodicea. This is the face that they show the world and what they think of themselves. But Jesus said instead that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. 
Jesus promises Philadelphia, the good, the the sixth church, that for their faithful perseverance in His word and in His name, I will also keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Then He says, "Behold, I come quickly." Right. Um, and yet to Laodicea, he says the opposite. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments, that you may be clothed, right? That you may cover your nakedness and anoint your eyes, that you may see. Um, and so he invites the church of Laodicea to open their door to him, to open their door, to let him in, because all their activity, they're leaving him out. They do not honor him or follow him in their hearts. And so that's quite an indictment, asking a church, the church of Jesus, to open their door to him. Uh, And then right after this last warning to the seventh and final church, Laodicea, um, we see that chapter four begins with a glorious invitation to John to come up to heaven. And so the left behind church must go through the fire and be tried, uh, whether or not they will turn to God. And the sixth church, the Church of Philadelphia, is told that they will uh, be taken out of the fire, right? And then chapter 4 begins with a sort of a glorious invitation to John to come up to heaven. And John begins to describe this experience in heaven from that moment on. We see Revelation 4, 1. After these things, I looked up, and behold, a door standing open in heaven— And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you the things which must take place after this. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. So we see here the symmetry of Jesus when he introduced it, that uh, he would discuss the things. I will show you the things which are, which things will take place after this. And so the, we see the letters to the churches are the things which are. And uh, at this moment, John experiences a simulated rapture sort of in the spirit in order to describe the things which must take place after this. And we see that for the rest of the book of Revelation, the church, which was the focus of the introduction, is not again mentioned except as the bride of Christ, who has been called to heaven to witness the marriage supper of the Lamb and the things that are happening in heaven after this. So Revelation chapter 3 clearly outlines the distinction between the true church and the hypocritical church. The true church is unpopular, under persecution, has little strength, but faithful to Jesus' command for brotherly love, faithful to the entire word of God, not compromising under the cultural pressure, and faithful to his name, Jesus, as the only way, the truth, and the life. And as we discussed in the last episode, Jesus describes the hypocritical church who is play-acting their faith and, quote, bears his name in deceit, that um, they imitate a godly people for ulterior motives, for power or to be seen and admired, but not actually uh, have having a true faith in Jesus. And we see that Hebrews 3 describes what causes this hypocritical position in a warning that given in Hebrews 3 not to reject Jesus uh, and his salvation. And so Hebrews 3, 8 says, Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me and tried me and saw my works 40 years. And he says, So I swore in my wrath that they shall not enter into my rest, 
Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. He calls them brethren, the writer of Hebrews. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened in your heart through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. And he says in verse 18, And whom did he swear that he would not enter into his rest, but to those who believe not? So we see they could not enter in because of unbelief. So we see that the deceitfulness of sin is taking those who were followers of God, the, the, those in the wilderness were following God. They professed themselves allegiance to God, and yet it was the de- deceitfulness of sin that hardened their heart, both in the Exodus and Paul's warning that that can happen to the church now. And so remember, Jesus himself described in several parables of those who would not be raptured or welcomed in the kingdom, particularly, remember the parable of the ten virgins, which represents the bride of Christ. And so remember, five of those were wise, and they had oil or the Holy Spirit and waited for the Lord ready. But five were foolish and did not have their lamps full of oil or the Holy Spirit, yet they appeared to wait with the others. So John seven thirty nine tells expressly that the Holy Spirit is given only to those who truly believe in Jesus. And even the parable of the sower, Jesus gives a surprising detail in his second example. Remember the parable of the sower? Uh, Matthew thirteen five describes the first time to the to the regular people. Some seed fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. Um, but Jesus then interprets the parable. Uh, in Luke eight eleven. he explains, now the parable of this is this. The seed is the word of God. So we know that the seed is the word of God that um, is going out. And then he interprets the second example for us. Matthew thirteen twenty. he says, but he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. You hear that? They received it with joy. Yet, He has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he is offended. Interesting. Luke 8.13 also explains this and actually uses the phrase that they fall away. So we see this description that Jesus warned through his teachings that there would be hypocrites. He even chastised them most among the Pharisees, who not only pretended to love God, but actually lorded their power over the people and cast out those who truly wanted to know Jesus. In fact, they were his betrayers. They were the religious leaders of the people speaking for God, and yet they betrayed their Messiah and Lord. <laughs> if you if you want to see how upset he was with them, read through Matthew 23 and see Jesus' indictments against these hypocrites. It's scathing. So it's hard to understand how someone would pretend to be a believer and not really be one. But we saw in Hebrews that sin hardens our hearts. So we can hold on to our sin or pride or our own view of things rather than submitting to God. And we see a great example is Judas, right? None of the disciples even suspected that he was not actually one of them, which is clear when Jesus announces that he will be betrayed. No one guessed that it was Judas, and he was from Jesus's inner circle. This is because of his secret sin, which tainted even his ability to see the truth right in front of him, performing miracles every day. 
And we see this revealed in several passages about Judas. For example, John 6, 64, but there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him, right? And John 12, 6, he uh, also tells us in hindsight that Judas was a thief and that he had the money bag and that he used to take out of it whatever was put into it, right? So that was apparently discovered later that he was stealing out of their their money fund. And then Luke 22 describes how Judas became offended over the wasted money when Mary anointed Jesus in Bethany with that costly oil. As Jesus explained, it was for his burial. Judas didn't want that. He didn't want a burial. He wanted a king. So that was it for him. So in verse 3, Luke 22, 3, it says, Satan entered Judas, surnamed Iscariot, who was numbered among the 12. This is right after the anointing. So he went his way and conferred with the chief priests and captains how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he promised and sought opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of the multitude. This shows how those who feign their faith for some benefit can have their heart hardened by sin so that they don't believe. And when an offense comes, they will betray the Lord and his church. So it's clear that Satan entices those not fully committed to Jesus by their own pride or covetousness or compromised worldview into turning against the truth or causing division and strife inside the church. We see this in James 3, who warns of internal strife among the church. So you look at verse 13, it says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but it is earthly, sensual, demonic for Where there is envy, strife, and self-seeking, there is confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So there's evidence and a sign of what to look for. Does the dissension rise up when people are trying to compromise in the church? So we see John describe what entices these people away. In 1 John 2.15, he says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, just like with Adam and Eve, right, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And then he describes people who betrayed them. It says, They went out from us. But they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us, right? So they, he's describing brethren that left the church and caused division, and it revealed that they never were uh, from the church, all right? And so um, eventually hypocrites will betray the Lord by the fruit and they will not wholly cling to the word of God or adhere to Jesus's teaching, right? So that's what's required in the church of Philadelphia to keep his word without compromise and to profess his name, Jesus, most of all, not just God, who people can put their own label on, right? And so Uh, they become offended and they betray their true faith or bring in heresies to mislead other followers, which is, of course, something that's very, very uh, divisive, right? 
But God is so gracious that even those who have rejected Jesus will get another chance during the tribulation. It's amazing. So remember how Jesus urged the Laodiceans to buy gold and white garments tried in the fire, right? So there's an opportunity. He says that if you're compromised now, but we're raptured, once the rapture happens, you can still go through the fire, which of course nobody wants. And so we see in Revelation's account of tribulation that God gives those who are left behind another opportunity to accept Jesus as Savior. So interestingly, there will be millions of witnesses left behind who actually had heard and knew the truth of the gospel and and about the end times prophecies, but had not actually believed in Jesus for salvation. So there's lots of people, unfortunately, who will know it, but will not have taken him on his gift, right? Additionally, during the tribulation, this is remarkable, God will offer three other opportunities to accept the gospel, right? So I find these just amazing. For instance, in chapter 7 of Revelation, God seals 144,000 Jewish men who have received Jesus, or Yeshua, as their Savior after the rapture. And he calls them his servants for the gospel. And they're faithful to Jesus. And they're actually described in chapter 14, uh, says that they were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. And these were redeemed from among the men, being first fruits to God and to the Lamb. And their mouth was found, and in their mouth was found no deceit, for they are without fault before the throne of God. So these witnesses will be out there um, after the rapture, and they're Jewish, and hopefully they'll testify to the house of David. Many will come to repentance, as we see in other areas during the tribulation, because it's the 70th week. Uh, of Daniel, when God returns his focus to Israel to bring as many as he can to faith, especially when the Antichrist steps into uh, the temple and declares himself God, a lot of devoted Jewish people, we like, oh no, we were were fooled, right? So he really is focusing on Israel, but these men will be well known. And then we see in the, in chapter 11, God does another remarkable thing. He will send the two witnesses to testify of the gospel for three and a half years, the first three and a half years of tribulation. And it, it gives the number. And the two witnesses will, will apparently just testify of God. And anybody who tries to kill them, they'll get to they'll be killed in the same manner and in fact for three and a half years everybody gets really angry at them as they testify the wonderful works of God a lot of people think that this is either Elijah and Moses because Elijah was never uh, he was taken into heaven he never died and Moses um, because it sounds like Moses both of them doing plagues and things but um, if it's not it could be uh, Enoch also Enoch never died and of course Hebrews says that it's appointed a man wants to die. Um, so we'll see. We don't know. Uh, we'll, we'll hear about it later, I guess. But uh, the two witnesses are finally killed. God permits them to be killed. And even then, God says, come up here and behold the, before the eyes of the whole world. So the whole world will get to hear the wonderful works of God and see the miracles after the rapture. They'll still have a chance to receive the testimony of the two witnesses, particularly probably to Israel. 
And then in chapter 14, 6 through 7, God actually sends an angel in the last half of the tribulation. It says that they will be flying, he will fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. So anyone who accepts Jesus during the tribulation, they do have a second chance, but they will suffer great persecution and it will likely cost their lives under the beast system. And we see this in several places. For instance, Revelation thirteen fifteen, it says that the beast is granted power um, to to give breath to the image of the beast, and as many as would not worship the image of the beast would be killed. And that he causes both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads. And anybody who does not uh, receive the mark uh, will be killed. And um, then it says in Revelation 14 that uh, that God pronounces in 14.9 that if anyone worships the beast in his image, that he himself shall drink of the wrath of God. So don't take the beast, uh, mark of the beast. If you're hearing my voice and then you get left behind, please don't take the mark of the beast because God will not uh, forgive you. Um, Revelation 14, 13, God says, Right blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. And then we see down in uh, Revelation 24, uh, John describes, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark on their foreheads and on their hands. So they were beheaded. So you do not want to wait, friends. Uh, You want to put your trust in Jesus now because, trust me, if you cannot— walk with him, receive him, give your life to him now when you're in America and you're free to do so, then what makes you think you can do it under the most unimaginable pressure? Please give your life to him now. And now next week, we are going to pick up on that discussion about uh, how the world is going headlong into the beast system and so many things that we're seeing happening rapidly, quickly, quickly. So please don't wait. Please give your life to him. He loves you so much. He's got a good plan for your life. Pick up the Bible. Start reading. Ask Jesus to show you the truth. Ask him to come into your heart. You want to start walking with him now. There's great victory, great joy, and great peace. Please give your heart to him. And until next time, God bless you all. Join Wendy Scott every Saturday at 3 p.m. on K-Praise for another episode of Season Watch. Previous episodes can be found through the K-Praise podcast platform, where you can also access Wendy's other platforms and contact links. Please email Wendy with show comments, questions, or suggestions at wscott at mywordsforhim.com or visit her website at mywordsforhim.com for additional resources. Watch other teachings on her Rumble channel. Wendy's Words for Him, her fiction novel, The Lost, A Story of Christmas, can be found on Amazon. Until next week, watch, therefore, and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.